mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Welcome to this email special. They're all special. Um, today was the day we discovered that we're 15 in the podcast charts news section. GB. GB. But right. not GB news. <laughs> no, because that would be a low point. Please, God, that never happens. <laughs> I can honestly say I do rule that out. So thank you very much to those of you who are keeping us in the news chart. Clip that, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure yeah. yeah we're not strictly speaking a current affairs podcast but i suppose we do have daily references to current affairs don't we so i guess that kind of probably is all right yeah i don't yeah. think you should check your charts actually um no 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 i don't but i it happened to be written down in front of me today so i couldn't really ignore it <laughs> okay you're not desperately adding something to a powerpoint presentation before you fall asleep every night i like to check my pension see how that's doing oh now you see you shouldn't do that i know you? you shouldn't you should no. only look kind of once or twice a year that's what they tell you yeah yeah because at the moment if you look very depressing <laughs> extraordinarily depressing yes so uh it's quasi i will have to move in with you i'm afraid no there's absolutely no need for that at all okay so these are some of the emails that we've picked over a whole range of different topics over the last couple of weeks and we actually gen here's a bit of genuine sincerity coming your way because <laughs> all sincerity is genuine um just to say thank you because um the emails have been brilliant and they've been consistent and uh we we just couldn't do this without you so thank you all for bothering uh, to email Jane and Fee at times.radio. So there are quite a few themes that emerged over the last couple of weeks, aren't there? And we've saved some of the longer emails uh, to put into this edition. And shall I start with a weight-obsessed dad? Because we were discussing weight. We had a brilliant email, didn't we, from a mum who didn't really know what to say to her daughter, who she believed to be overweight. And it started off some really interesting themes of conversation. So this one is anonymous. And it goes like this. Uh, I heard the letter from your listener wondering how she could talk to her daughter about being overweight. And Jane mentioned that it was usually the mothers who noticed these things and passed on their issues with food. And I agree it probably is generally the woman, but I thought you might like to hear what it's like to grow up with a very loving but very critical father who had an unhealthy obsession with women's weight and looks. He just couldn't help commenting on larger women in cafes, on the TV, friends of my mother. And I was never overweight, but I I wasn't skinny and though I probably already had issues due to being the funny one in a group of pretty girlfriends that is a whole other email Gosh, thread that is and we'd welcome those too very much like to hear things on that it certainly didn't help having a father who commented on the smallest things once he advised that I shouldn't wear a particular Snoopy t-shirt because it was too tight on my arms and made them look fat 
Needless to say, I wore long sleeves for a long time after that. I fasted a lot in my late teens and 20s and had body dysmorphia. I'm now in my mid-40s and thankfully I'm much less controlled than I used to be. I've always been very careful around my children never to talk about food or weight. They're slim and active young boys. However, I do hear it leak out with my husband. When we're on holiday, it makes me very anxious eating out all the time and I hear myself gently and passive-aggressively suggesting he doesn't drink quite so much or eat all those chips and I feel ashamed. I'd like to be able to explain to him where it comes from but although he's loving and kind I've never been able to talk to him about my food issues which shows just how deep the shame goes. My father died six years ago commenting on the overweight nurses until the end. Oh dear. And I just thought that was such a beautiful email because it's not offering loads of advice or you know suggesting that there's a kind of conclusive way to go about all of these things but it just shows you're absolutely right that penultimate sentence it shows just how deep the shame goes so even though obviously you're in what I hope is a good relationship now and you've got kids and you know they are slim and active as you say there's still something that's coming to the surface all the time Mm. for you Mm. and it's just so heartbreaking isn't it that, you know, your dad, gosh, I mean, what would he have said if someone had challenged him over his opinion on female weight? And what would he have said if you had told him, you know, just how deep it had gone when he criticised you? You know, I bet he would have been absolutely mortified, really, really mortified. So I just wanted to say thank you for sharing that because I think... You know, for people who are going through all of these issues, either as the parent or the child themselves, it's just enormously helpful sometimes to hear that other people have had to live their life in a similar vein and are just trying to kind of do the best, actually. And you can't always find a solution to those things that happened to you in childhood. No. It's naive to think you can, and good on you for just kind of, you know, cracking on with it and realising what you're doing, really. Yeah, and I absolutely, um, I'm glad that somebody there has referenced their father's view of weight because it's. I, I didn't mean to suggest that it was only women who ever referenced it because I, I, I know that isn't true. Um, but it's it's such a shame that that correspondent can't just cannot quite find a way through to talking about this with her husband, who's you know seems like a nice guy. Um, and the thing about any issue around food is food is omnipresent. There is no escape. It's not like alcohol. It's not even like smoking. It's not like drugs. It's always going to be there. You're always going to be eating. You're always going to be thinking about eating. Uh, there's always the possibility of a meal with other people. This is just, it's just omnipresent. It's not going to go away. Mm. And it just, it, but equally, it's such a wonderful thing to enjoy if you are able to enjoy it and if you do manage to have a chat with your husband then do uh, let us know how it goes if you want to you don't have to at all um this is from another anonymous listener i'd be very grateful uh, for some advice on how to deal with a 17 year old daughter who is a little bit overweight it's a struggle to know if and when and how to say anything this evening i pointed out that she didn't need to just eat something because it's in front of her and she went quite mad My usual gentle-spirited, lovely girl yelled at me to shut up and stormed off. What should I do? She has my build and I would have loved for someone to have helped me not get overweight when I was her age. But her age are so sensitive to body shaming. Um, I think that first paragraph, that is exactly what I was alluding to when I think the subject first arose and I feel for the two individuals involved in this situation, I really do. I completely understand why the mum here 
wants to spare her daughter from whatever she went through. And I also, uh, I've had 17-year-old daughters. I've been a 17-year-old daughter myself. Uh, there's no good time to make a suggestion about what your child is eating, how they're eating it, and whether or not they should be eating it. Um, I'm afraid to that to that listener. I would. I'm no expert. I would just say, frankly, don't say that. Just don't bother mentioning it, because um, on the whole, if you make an issue of food, it's inclined to mm. stay an issue, isn't it? So there's a very similar email here from another anonymous correspondent uh, who refers back to the original uh, email that we had. Your correspondent talked of intervention, drawing parallels between undereating and overeating. I can only see two options for intervention. One, put her daughter in an environment where food is restricted. If so, I hope she can afford to keep them locked up for life. Or two, get her daughter to a doctor to explain about weight, health and options. I can guarantee no epiphany. Her daughter is likely not lacking education and the coercion could be very damaging. And the lady who wrote in doesn't mention love in her email, but I'm going to assume she loves her daughter and I'm going to suggest when she feels negative thoughts creeping in, she replaces them with my daughter has a beautiful laugh or my daughter is so kind or my daughter deserves to feel so loved because her daughter's weight is none of her business. Her daughter is an adult with her own free will. Mm. Yeah, um, I'm just I mean, it's so difficult because the email I just read out from the mother of the teenager clearly loves her and she believes that she suffered as a result of being overweight for whatever reason. And she desperately wants her daughter to avoid the same judgment and some of the same miserable experiences she remembers from her own adolescence. So I don't think there's any suggestion that she doesn't love, no. love the child. And sometimes, don't you think, that some of the weirdest things that we say and do as parents actually do come from a place of love, uh, but it's a little bit twisted and it's a little bit weird and it doesn't always make sense. Uh, can I inject a slight bit of levity uh, just because I wanted to say thank you to Patricia uh, who says, what a relief for fee that Mike Pence is not in the presidential running. No more worries about listeners thinking she's talking about my pants. Yeah, I'll leave my accent alone, Patricia. It's, it is a shame that Mike Pence is uh, no <laughs> no longer with my us. My pants. Can I just... I'm, I'm, I've been reading a little bit. I've been reading a little bit, and that'll surprise a lot of people, um, about, about the American presidential race. And it's far from a certainty... Um, that um, people are now beginning to seriously question the whole idea of Trump versus Biden. And there's, uh, I th if I were a betting woman, which of course I'm not, I might think it might be worth uh, scooting down somewhere to put a bet on it being between two other people completely. Yeah, I mean, you and I have had this conversation so many times on air, haven't no, we? I'm, where, I'm... where we just cannot believe that there isn't a really, really serious whole committee room yeah. that's operating 24 hours a day considering who might be able to step in in case Joe Biden, for whatever reason, doesn't quite make it. And yeah. I'm not saying that in a horrible way, but it would seem sensible to have that committee absolutely packed to the rafters. <laughs> I would certainly bear it all in mind. He's, uh, he's 80, isn't he? He's just looks so frail sometimes and I feel for him and I really actually I thought Kate McCann was fantastic she came in one day and we were talking about this 
um, on the radio programme. And, and she said, you know, what you, what you have to recognise is actually his wisdom and his longevity in politics means that, you know, he's got a 20-year relationship with the president of China. It's stuff like that that we're mm. not seeing. So we just see the oh, visuals, right, we man. just see the optics. Yeah. We go, he's really old, he needs a handrail wherever he goes, he's fallen over this thing. Mm. But that's, you know, that's not what the Democrats are treasuring. And that yeah. is very hard to replicate, isn't it? It is. And actually, I remember that exactly what you referenced there when Kate came in and said, I think she'd been in a press conference with him, hadn't she? And she'd just been actually genuinely quite bowled over by that breadth of experience and the longevity of his diplomatic relationships. And of course, some people are saying the same this week about Dave, now Lord Cameron. Back amongst us. I think he's, what is he? He's 50. He's only, he's actually very young. He's I mean, 57? He, is he, I think he probably is about 56, 57. And he left, because he left Downing Street when he was only 49. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's 57. Have you seen the news clip? <laughs> They're all gathering outside 10 Downing Street on the day of the reshuffle. And he gets out of a ministerial Range Rover or some kind of official car. And there's just this very quiet voice saying, what the hell? <laughs> Just the last face anyone expected to see. <laughs> what the actual? What? Yeah. Okay, um, please keep me anonymous, says this emailer. I have never emailed in before, but I just feel compelled after hearing about the mother of the overweight daughter. I am an overweight daughter. Despite exercise and healthy diet, it is my build. I would ask that the mother treads very carefully. The disdain and pressure you feel from society when you are larger is already so hard. Speaking from personal experience, the small and probably well-meaning comments from my mother about my weight have really stung. Coming from someone who you are told should love you unconditionally, feeling their judgment on your appearance, even from a place of love, can really wound. I would suggest focus on her daughter's mental health. That should be her main concern, and it's very important. But other than that, I would not mention weight. Um, thank you very much for that. That's a very um, thoughtful, um, thoughtful email. Um, it just reminds me of a couple of years ago when I was doing an interview elsewhere about with a noted child, um, an adolescent expert who'd written a book about rearing girls. And it was a man, as it turned out. And he said uh, that what you have to bear in mind, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, is that looks don't matter. And I said, I'm, sorry, I'm really sorry, but I've been a teenage girl and looks do matter. They really, really matter. And it doesn't matter how many times people tell you that they don't matter. In the real world, out there, you know damn well that they do. And especially now, Jane. Uh, especially now, yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually, I really do suggest that, that male <laughs> experts just listen to the, to the young women and, and the young boys in their life and just appreciate that in, the, in, a, in an ideal world, of course looks shouldn't matter, but let's get real. We all know they do. So this is quite pertinent. It's called Listen to the Children. And it comes from Kate, who says, uh, children have been showing us that the education system in England asks too much of its children for years. It isn't the teachers that are pushing them. It's the government-driven curriculum. So this was off the back of, I think it must have been a conversation with Esther Ranson, uh, saying, let's listen to the children. And our correspondent goes on to say, I don't think there's a teacher in the land who would argue against children having 
having a more diverse experience at school. It's something we feel all children need and deserve. But if teachers are asked to deliver specific numbers of hours on maths, English and phonics, not to mention all the other ridiculous initiatives that get brought in all the time, there simply aren't enough hours in the day. And she goes on to say, I could harp on for hours about this topic, but I just wanted to say hurrah for Esther and I wish more people held her views. Don't our children deserve better? And sometimes I think just, you know, to your point and what you were just saying there, we rely uh, on on parenting experts so much these days, don't we? Yeah. And there are lots and lots of them around. And as we have said a couple of times before on the podcast, you know, the person who writes a book about parenting studies parenting or whatever you know it is like a restaurant reviewing itself you know the review has to be done by the people who are actually sampling the service and that is the children mm. and at the moment they've got so much to tell us jane because their world is so different to ours i think never more so than generations but perhaps if you live through the industrial revolution you know, the life that was experienced by your parents was so remarkably different to the one that you were experiencing. The same kind of gap existed. But I think we really, really do uh, just need to do a little bit more listening and a little bit less I told you so type yeah. stuff. Yeah, because growing up now is nothing like... I mean, I appreciate you and I became parents when we were relatively mature. So perhaps... Creakingly well, old. Does that, does that mean that the... Gener so that in theory, the generation gap should be much bigger between our generation of mothers and fathers and our children because we are, on the whole, much older than our parents were when they had us. Yeah, I'm sure that plays a part. But I'm, well, I'm not sure it's true. I think... Um, Oh, I don't know, because we, I think we're, well, probably I would say this, I think we're able to have some quite open conversations with our children, and probably the conversations that were not possible for my generation. I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just being rose-tinted about this. We might take some thoughts on that. Ah, oh, yes. Um, you spoke about mothers, says Anonymous, you spoke about mothers being harder on their daughters where weight is concerned. Any hope I still had for my ex-husband's emotional intelligence died when he looked at our then adolescent daughter one day, made a shape like two brackets with his hands and said, what's this? Her body was moving to a more womanly shape. We'd recently had an excellent talk from her school's headmistress telling us to avoid criticising ourselves physically in front of our daughters. My bum looks big in this, etc. Early mid-noughties, so the focus was very much on teenage girls' eating issues. I have got friends who worry about their sons too. My daughter is in her 30s now. She's fit and active and slim, sometimes a bit too slim. In my wider family, weight was a thing. My lovely, naturally slim mother, who's a grazer, tried to help with my distress but couldn't really understand how people gained weight anyway. Aunts, one of whom undertook dangerous measures to lose weight whenever she needed to, frequently warned of the dangers of becoming like Cousin X or Singer Y. The 70s were the start of the seriously effed up publicity. Cardboard crackers and bread that made you fly in the sky with seriously catchy tunes I can still remember. Um, yeah, what was that bread? Nimble. 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 And uh, Bloody yeah, awful. Every, everyone took off in a hot air balloon after yeah, eating it, they didn't they? So light. So like Mary, it was mainly just there. <laughs> Thank you for all of your suggestions about clothes pegs. Uh, there was almost a peg standoff because a couple of people wrote in to tell us um, that we really needed to use recycled plastic pegs. Uh, this one comes from Ali B. 
who says uh, we need to get them from the popular online company we all use far too much. The pegs are bright green and made in Italy, not China, from recycled plastic. They're mighty strong and have withstood all weathers so far. And she knows this because uh, she moved to the Windy Wirral last autumn and discovered quite swiftly that if she wanted to avoid the breeze from the Irish Sea scattering her enormous old lady pants around the neighbours' gardens, she needed stronger clothes pegs. Uh, but then this one comes in and it might might beat everybody because it comes from the Falkland Islands, Jane. OK, I think that is the winner. It's from Alice who says, in the Falkland Islands where winds average 20 kilometres an hour and are over 40 kilometres an hour quite regularly, we use metal clothes pegs quite simply. Nothing else does the job. It does mean your clothes dry quickly though. Well, I mean, that's worth moving all that way for, isn't it? I hope you're OK, Alice. I've always just found it so terrifying that the Falkland Islands are so far away. Well, um, I would like to hear more about daily life in the Falkland Islands. So if you can be bothered, please do email again and uh, tell us what you do um, and tell us whether, I mean, do you live near Port Stanley? Um, what has Port Stanley got these days in terms of facilities? Has it got... Could you get Costa? Has it got a Costa? Could you get a flat white? I bet there's a Pret. <laughs> God, I mean, there will be a Pret and it'll be shipping out its Christmas baguettes even as we speak. And you'll go in there every day thinking, I like Pret, and then you'll stand in front of their stands and go, there's nothing here I like. Oh, I don't know, there's everything I like there, I've got to be honest. Um, do you remember, it's, it, I can plug it because it doesn't exist anymore, the chain Eat. I do, yeah. God, I, that was fabulous. It was fabulous. So they did a chicken uh, stew, didn't they? With a, it was a chicken pot pie. Chicken pot pie, yes. A little pastry gorgeous. topping. But also in November and December, they did a, did a turkey dinner in a bucket. Nice. You could bring that in. <laughs> it was absolutely wonderful. It had a chip water, it had cranberry, mash, gravy good quality turkey and much else besides yeah there was one near the other place that we used to work at wasn't yeah. there which was dangerous to go into because it was just entirely full of your colleagues so you know if you wanted a bit of a break at lunchtime yeah. it didn't didn't matter how much you wanted the chicken pot pie it was still unwise to go in because you always get harangued by a senior manager mom deserves better than a drugstore card this mother's day surprise her with a truly special personalized card from moonpig Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Uh, right, this one comes in from Sarah, who says, uh, you appeared in a recent extremely vivid and at the time very stressful dream. Yeah. I was being interviewed by you both about my book. The book title was A Strong Family History of Maths. The problem was that while I had some ideas about the content, there'd been some misunderstanding because I hadn't actually written the book. Not that anybody else had either. Essentially, an interview about a non-existent book. And you say, Sarah, possibly a contender for the most boring anecdote, but no, that belongs to Jane with her, I went to get bin bags, there weren't any bin bags. No, that was, no, it was recycling sacks. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, well, that makes all the difference. It does. Uh, in my real work, sorry, in my real life, my work as a community paediatrician in the NHS is full of fascinating and memorable patients and families, and my family life is fairly full of drama too, to the point that at, in respect to some of my sister's life choices, my mother coined the acronym NNFN, No Need for Netflix. <laughs> Did your sister know that? 
Oh dear, seems quite a harsh judgment. Uh, several years ago, when I was asking a parent in my clinic a standard question, any family history of mental delay, learning difficulties, autism or similar, they answered no. No autism, but we do have a strong family history of maths. I thought at the time, fleetingly, as many people do, I believe, if I ever write a book, there is the title. And there it goes. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. that would work. I think it would... Um... I think it would fly yeah. off the shelves. And and Sarah says something that quite a few people have said, which is um, maybe from time to time have someone who hasn't written a book on. Oh, God. Well, we welcome that. Uh, which reminds me, here's Claire, who says, how do you manage to read all the books that you do? Is there a secret? I manage one book every month or so, and I'm constantly frustrated by my inability to find time to read more. There are loads of great books out there, and I'm sad I'll never get to read them all. Any tips? Well, I mean, you're never going to read every single book that's out there, so f don't worry about that, Claire. Um, how do we do it? Well, I think the answer is I speed read a great deal, which I'm ashamed to say means that I don't always savour every single paragraph. If there's a description of landscape, I tend to flick over. Isn't that awful? So I can't tell you whether it was windy or what that tree looked like or anything like that at all, what the sunset looked like. Um, Non-fiction I find easier to read quickly than fiction. Would that be true? Maybe. I think also it is worth pointing out there are two of us. So um, the people who are listening closer... Uh, too closely possibly may have noticed that one of us always kind of takes the lead in an interview which does mean that they have generally really read the book and the other person has done a had a skim. Flick. yeah mm. so uh, so I speed read too um, but also I find it very difficult to speed read fiction actually I you like, can't really no. can you I do like to really savour it. Because you lose all the nuances. And just to give away a little bit of a secret here, very much showing my pants, uh, if it's a really fantastic book, uh, I don't finish it before doing the interview because also I don't think in interviews you should give away the ending of a book. So quite often I, I haven't just got to the end. I just don't care. Well, that's the difference between you and me. So the butler did it, in case yeah. you're wondering. No, but it's it's like with the Lee Child book this week, The Secret. I've saved the ending of that because so I want to read that in my own time, Jane. You don't know what the secret is? No, don't tell me. La, 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 la. Fingers and ears. Victoria says, I find the term chicklet very offensive. Is there a term dicklet that is used for books such as the Jack Reacher series? If there isn't, then there bloody well should be. Okay, I'm actually kind of with her there. Um, although I enjoy, I'm, yeah, I've got to out myself and say I love a bit of dicklet. Um, maybe that's a good point because um, chicklet does sound dismissive. Yes, and I think people are very loath to use it now. Yeah, well, they are, but it's still around. You still get people saying that they like it or that there are sections in bookshops devoted to that sort of thing. Well, perhaps you're right, perhaps they don't have they those don't signs do anymore, anymore, don't they? Yeah. Okay. Um, she also says, there's a touch of the Captain Mannering Sergeant Wilson about your radio friendship. I'll let you work out who's who. Mm. Now, I like Dad's Army a lot. It's one of those sitcoms from back in the day that still works. It is genuinely funny. I... I'm going to disagree there. Oh, just you don't think so? No, oh, I do. I really I think it's funny. And just all that marching around and, yeah. Oh, no, but it's, no, it's very... I mean, my granddad was in the Home Guard, so maybe that's... Maybe that's why we did... He had some quite funny stories. I like to think that uh, that we're some of the wives in Dallas, Jane. Um, so you've got, you've got some great choices there. Pamela. Pamela. Um, Sue Ellen. Well, no, because I'd be the poison dwarf, wouldn't I? It's Charlene. Charlene, and I don't think she was a wife, was she? Oh, no, she married Ray Krebs. 
Yes. Yep. Did she marry Ray Crabbs? She did. No. Did she? No, Donna was married to Ray. Oh, eventually she was. Yeah. But I think I think Ray and uh, Charlene had an affair. Because oh, okay. it was ridiculous. Because Charlene was she was about four foot three, uh, nothing wrong with that. And um, Ray Krebs was um, well over six foot, even well over six foot. <laughs> yeah, he was also about seventy five. Hello, <laughs> Jane and Fee. <laughs> Following on from the listener who sent an email recently and apologised for their English, I saw this online and it made me giggle. It's from Hazel Rose D on the X. When I was in school, I was doing my French speaking exam and I started crying because I literally couldn't do it. And my French teacher said, it's okay, you're not the worst. The girl before you answered the questions in English, but just with a French accent. (laughs) 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 So who was it, Michael Owen? Who was it who did that at a press conference? I forgot it wasn't Michael Owen. I don't think it was Michael Owen, but it was, um, it was... Oh, God, who was it? That's really going to annoy me now. Because it was funny. He just started answering questions in his slightly French accent. I've come to Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, oh, I'll look it up, actually. Um, it was good. Yes, yeah, so see if you see if you can find out who. Uh, Michael Owen has form, uh, because I think he went went on record and said he'd never watched a film. Oh, God. Which is quite unusual, isn't it? Never to have seen any film. Or maybe he'd seen one film. Um, here we go. Who was it? Joey Barton. Joey Barton. Joey Barton. Oh, Thank you, right. Megan, very a little much. A little bit of... Um, I think the jury's out on Joey Barton. It's been out more than once. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> that's probably not that funny, really. Um, you do make you do make me laugh, says Claire, grasping for facts like a scene from Dinner Ladies, <laughs> as I find myself constantly doing the same. When you were discussing Agatha Christie's husbands and disappearance, I was shouting, shouting, but unfortunately you can't hear. I've just finished Lucy Worsley's excellent biography of Agatha Christie and you were partly correct, partly correct, when you mentioned Guildford. I think that was you, wasn't it? When Agatha realised that her first husband, Archibald Christie, was having an affair with a woman called Nancy Neal, she left the house and abandoned her car in Surrey. Now, when I read that originally, I thought it said abandoned her cat in Surrey and I was absolutely horrified. But it's all right, it was only her car, so I think better of her now. Uh, She then caught a train to North Yorkshire and stayed in a hotel in Harrogate under a pseudonym. It's a great book, well worth a read. Also, re-fees aversion to going to the theatre. My sister and I saw Sunset Boulevard at the weekend. I've heard other people talk about this. Nicole Scherzinger was brilliant and the whole production was unlike anything we'd seen before. Well, is that going to get you there? Nope, but thank you. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. What is it? Is it because you don't want to queue up for a tub of vanilla in the in the interval? I get a little bit claustrophobic and a bit a little bit weirded out. Then I think, oh, they're they're up on stage. They're pretending. They're. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sometimes they're really acting. Yes. Well, they have actors are known for that. Uh, Alexa is another person who just said it was Harrogate. Yeah, right, okay. I've just started that Lucy Worsley book. Yes, I've got I've got a copy of that. Yeah, oh, about yeah. Agatha Christie, and um, we could get her on, but she sold loads of copies, so we don't need to. Oh, it would be quite good fun actually. So, she, so her shtick for it, uh, for writing the book, is very much that we need to see Agatha Christie through a different prism of uh, really extraordinary pushing of boundaries for women because we do regard her as a slightly kind of staid creature but actually when you think of her contribution it is Mm. massive and she's still widely read isn't she so she is the third most widely read author uh 
after Shakespeare and all the blokes who wrote the Bible. <laughs> God, I think, is the name you're groping for. All the blokes who wrote the Bible. Yeah. Okay. If you are religious, I'd just like to apologise. Is that true? So it goes Shakespeare, the Bible, and then Agatha and Christie. And then Agatha Christie. What about J.K. Rowling? Well, I don't know. This is all... I mean, do you, that's why we should get Lucy Worsley on, oh, I don't okay. know. But also, you know, she's um, she's very interesting on that... Uh, the, the, the time and the place that Agatha Christie was writing in, so the kind of things that uh, she included, racist language and all of that. Yeah. Uh, Lucy Worsley's very interesting on... Because uh, it's not about forgiving somebody for that, but it is about recognising a, a different time and a different place. Mm. Mm. So, I'm, but I've only just started the book, so okay, I'll report back a bit later. Well, yes, do keep us <laughs> do keep us updated. We're um, we're a little giddy tonight because we're going out. Oh, we are. So but, we're going. We're um, going on a. It's not a works do, is well, it? Come on, let's be honest. It's not, it is. It's not really. A you works and I do. would not be going out for dinner to this phenomenally posh restaurant on a Wednesday night were it not a works do. No, but it's not like it's a works do for the team. No. It's, we're going to meet the people who put the adverts into this. I tell you what, it's a posh restaurant, so maybe we'll meet a celebrity in the toilet, which is a very slick way of getting onto this email. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Andy in Margate joins us. Hello, Andy. Having discovered off air a month ago. Well, welcome aboard. No, OK, we come welcome on, welcome all newcomers. Yes, no, we absolutely do. Uh, you've become an integral part of my morning dog walk. Today, a memory from about 1970 was stirred by the listener, whose claim to fame was sitting on a loose seat shortly after Jilly Cooper. Now, my loose seat claim to fame is, do you remember? Because I have mentioned it before. Uh, oh, I can't, You I'm mentioned sorry. the television programme in which you starred only about five minutes ago. Uh, oh, so it was Dallas. Mm-hmm. So you sat, uh, genuinely, I can't remember. No, sorry. OK, I sat on the loose seat directly after Linda Gray. And you've told me that, that anecdote before. I definitely have. I blanked it. Well, it's, I think it's a good uh, Lou anecdote story. OK, where were you? Uh, L.A. Oh, Los, yes. You've been to Los Angeles. I had a life before I met you. <laughs> oh, my word. I mean, not much of one, obviously. <laughs> Um, during the day in question, the BBC had... This, we're back to Andy and Margaret now. <laughs> we're not with my dizzy life. Uh, during the day in question, the BBC had visited my grammar school in Gloucester. He's just shoehorning in there the fact that he went to a grammar school uh, to film a round... Now, I do remember this. A round of the TV show, Top of the Form. Remember that? No. OK. Do you, do you remember Ask the Family? Yes. That was hilarious. My sister and I used to sit in absolute pleats of laughter watching Ask the Family because we were trying to imagine what our family would have been like on that show. We would have been crap. So who was the, the guy who presented it? Oh, that was Robert Robinson. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He always and, had a kind of tweed suit on. Yes, he? he was sort of very headmasterly. And I mean, I'm not being funny, but but some of the kids in particular, I mean, you can imagine how horrible my sister and I were about it. They were quite nerdy. Yeah, there was no family fortunes. <laughs> <laughs> but we, I mean, we were mocking only because we knew that we would be good. So we just argue and the whole thing would have to be abandoned. It would be terrible. Anyway, back to Andy in Margate. 
Um, he was at school in Gloucester, remember? Grammar school. Grammar school. And they were filming around of the TV show Top of the Form. In the evening, I was still buzzing with excitement and keen to relay the experience to my family when my dad got home from work and managed to top all my stories about Top of the Form with guess what? When I popped out at lunchtime, I found myself standing at the very next urinal to Geoffrey Wheeler. He was the host of Top of the Form. Now, bearing in mind that the said Mr Wheeler was also at that time presenting Songs of Praise, you'll be relieved to hear that I'm unable to fabricate any link between this anecdote and another of yesterday's references, i.e. Ticklecock Bridge. Right. <laughs> OK, now be off with you, Andy. I think it can get very breezy in Margate. You need to go. <laughs> you be careful on those walks. <laughs> we had a terrible text into the programme. Oh God, today. which I read out. Yeah, don't go. On. Just God go when you started reading it, it was like Jane, don't. Read no, no, that. but I just, it, it made just about tongs and a penis. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I don't think anybody noticed. Oh, I certainly. Well, I didn't. Till it was too late. <laughs> so we definitely need to know more about your trip to Los Angeles. But Linda Gray, um, for what it's worth, was absolutely lovely. So was there a queue for the loo? No, I, mean, I, I was waiting outside. She came out, held the door. Lovely lady. Very nice. And do you think that she's sitting in a parallel universe somewhere today saying, Jane Garvey, she came in just as I was leaving the store. <laughs> I think it's unlikely. I was then at the time a local radio presenter, so I think it's probably unlikely. God, they have bigger budgets back then, <laughs> BBC Hereford was to do a lot of OBs in LA. Actually, perhaps I will. Oh, I don't know why. Oh, I can't remember when it was. But yeah, it was definitely her. Yeah. She was lovely. Well, that's very nice. I stood uh, in a queue for the loo with Jennifer Aniston. That's, but it, it wasn't, I didn't actually then sit on a loo seat after her. Mm. So it's not, it's just not such a good anecdote. But no, she it isn't, but you she told is it. She is beautiful. Is she? Absolutely beautiful woman. Yeah. Mm. And I've watched all of the morning show now. And really? she's just, um, I think she's very underrated as an actress, don't you? Oh, I've always thought she was good. Well, do some people not rate her? I think she got slightly plonked in the, you know, in the celebrity pages of magazines too much for her to be taken as seriously as some of those other actresses are. So if you think okay. of Kate Blanchett or Nicole Kidman, I think they're given more welly than Jennifer Aniston is, but I think she's really brilliant. And because she can do comedy as mm. well. She's got good... Comedy chops and acting chops. Well, you said you didn't like acting. I was going to say timing, but you completely ruined that. Oh, well, yeah, there you go. It's unfortunate, isn't it? <laughs> um, but, uh, also, by the way, I do think that the tributes that the cast of Friends have paid to Matthew Perry have been really touching. And, um, you know, I, I, I watched it because particularly, you know, my kids love Friends. and um, But it's actually been really rather... It's good to know that I think they genuinely were close and supported each other and tried to support him too. So it's very, it's good to know that, isn't it, really? Yeah, it mm. is. Yeah. Uh, Melissa says, um, I was inspired to write to you as I read the first of your book club books in French to dust off my degree in French literature. That, of course, was fresh water for flowers. I was in Paris last weekend, just on a tourist trip, and spotted that Changer l'eau des fleurs has been turned into a play and the premiere was that very weekend. I booked, went, was upgraded to the stalls, and it was excellent. I did find myself wondering whether there are any other off-air listeners in the audience. Uh, that's from Melissa, and I, I thank you very much for that. I didn't, we didn't know it was a play, did we? No, quite a long no. play. It would be quite a long play, and I'm going to say quite a tedious one. But Melissa said, 
No, it was excellent. Very mean. No, I just didn't like the book. It's no good me pretending. I can't contradict what I said at the time. Are you enjoying Boy Swallows Universe? Not that much, but um, it's um. Did you enjoy My Sister the Serial Killer? Yes, I did. It was Mm. short. It was snappy. It said what it said. It did what it did on the tin. It entertained me. It left my life. I don't think I'm going to think about it much in the future, but at the time, I thought it was excellent. Well, our book club special is uh, kind of this time next week, isn't it? Um, if you say so, I th- you're almost certainly correct. Yeah, I think it is. Okay. Well, if you love... Oh, no, you don't like theatre, do you? So you won't be going to see that. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> I feel that the, the, the pressure is on me to go to the theatre now. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. <sighs> Maybe next year. Hang on one second. You might need to tighten up this bit, Megan. Or you could just leave it in, because I think the listeners probably need a bit of a pause too. Right, should we just do one last one? Have you got something that we can go out on with a lovely crescendo and a perfect cadence? It's not a crescendo, but it is something we should bear in mind. It's from Pauline, the one with the menopause. I'm afraid that doesn't single you out, Pauline, because that could be... What how many what percentage of our audience do you think is menopausal? Well, I think including the men, ninety-eight percent. You're probably right. Um, can I ask you a huge favour, please? I was on my way to work this morning, listening in the car to yesterday's podcast, and I was re listen to this, I was really enjoying Jane's story about Cliff. Felix surprised. As the story unfolded, though, her voice got softer and softer to the point that I had to turn my radio volume to full blast. And even then it was difficult to make out. No, it was just the universe working on behalf of me. (laughs) However, once the story was finished, the volume of your voices went back to normal. Again. Yeah, I do think that... Do you think that... I mean, Cliff is, as we know, a Christian gentleman. Could it be that other forces were trying to intervene, Pauline? I would not rule it out. I really wouldn't rule it out. Yeah. Uh, what do you think you'll go and see next? Oh, and now what is my next? Do you know? Oh well, the only thing I, the only thing I've got booked now is the panto. That's not till December. <laughs> <laughs> so I will look for something cur- cur- cultural. Yeah. So you've kind of had a, a quite a large cultural burp. <laughs> now you're just going to pause for a while. I think it's time to purge my my pipes of all <laughs> culture. But if anyone's got anything they'd like to recommend. Um, a film, actually. I, do you know, I haven't been to the cinema for ages and ages. Mm. I'm off to see Napoleon, actually. Mm. Yes. Would you, are you not interested? Well, actually, that takes us back to Dad's army, doesn't it? Because uh, who was it who was always... Re- oh, it was the warden who would always call Captain Mannering Napoleon because <laughs> he was quite short. And Napoleon in Ridley Scott's film is played by... Joachim Phoenix. Joachim. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what kind of a life? You call a lad Joachim. Um, he's, um, I suppose, what nationality is Is that Spanish? Uh, no, I think they're American, aren't they? Well, no, they are, but I think they, the Phoenix family are American. Yeah. But Joachim, would, am I pronouncing <laughs> it? The Scouse isn't really helping here. How do you pronounce it? Joachim. Pauline's not picking that up because you're whispering (laughs) I don't know where this is going but I think that we need to say thank you very much for everybody's emails and uh, hope that you can join us uh, when we just revert to normal tomorrow Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know what else to say Jane, sorry, I'm out of puff Okay, but we look forward, uh, as people have enjoyed my reviews of um, uh, ballet, uh, did I mention the ballet? Uh, certainly, you all got my review of Sir Clifford. So we all look forward to hearing what Fee has made of Ridley Scott's magnum opus. 
Okay, I'll take some notes and I'll bring them in. That's exciting for everybody, isn't it? Good evening. Good evening, good night. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, ladies. A lady listener. I'm just sorry. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com